Welcome to another exciting episode of The Tax Efficient Investor. Listen in as host Michael Johnston demystifies tax-efficient tactics to help you grow your wealth. We break down complex tax strategies and make them simple to understand and easy to implement. From HSAs to IRAs, 1031s, trusts, and more, we cover it all here on The Tax Efficient Investor. Welcome to the show. I'm Michael Johnston. Joining me today is David Graham. David is a retired physician and advice-only retirement planner. Dr. Graham, thanks for coming on. Fun to be here. So I'm really excited to talk about uh, our, our topic today because this is something that I screwed up for a long time, talking about the right place to, to position assets, where they should be in a portfolio. Uh, probably something a lot of people don't think about, but it's something that can add. Uh, it's essentially, you know, some changes you can make. Uh, if you do it right, you can pick up some additional basis points that aren't going to cost you anything. It's tax arbitrage. It's free return if you do it correctly. So I guess let, let's start um, talking through, there's kind of three different types of accounts that that most investors have. Um, can, can you talk through what each of those are? I think that's a good way to kind of set the table here. Yeah. I love your introduction because we we all do you know make mistakes when we're starting out and there, there's some cleaning up that we need to do and um, you know there's there's one alpha that you can get for sure and that's tax alpha right mm -hmm. so it's really hard to get alpha over you know just general index fund but but if you put your money uh, in the right accounts if you invest correctly. Um, then you can really, really do well for yourself over time because you know taxes are one of the largest expenses, especially for um, well-to-do retirees. So yeah, yeah. Dollar, it's the biggest, the biggest expense we have in life, right? That sounds strange to think of, but it, yeah. it is. It's the biggest expense we're going to have in life for a lot of us. Yeah, and every dollar you don't get, give on Uncle Sam, you can you know spend or give to your family or charity. Yep. So it, it's a one-to-one -one savings, and there is yeah. definite alpha to have. So. So, you know, the three kind of major accounts the, um, to start off with the sweetest is, of course, the Roth account, um, Roth IRAs, 401ks, 457s, um, HSAs are included in this too. And the nice thing about um, these uh, tax-free accounts is that once you've paid taxes on them, you'll never pay taxes again. So there's no ongoing tax drag. And when you eventually take the money out in the future, you take it out tax-free. So that's super important because the time that you can control your taxes um, is kind of before social security kicks in and, and RMDs kick in, but after your income is gone. So there you right. can kind of strategically plan your withdrawals from your fully taxable accounts, which are your IRAs, your 401ks. So these are called pre-tax retirement accounts, right? And then with these accounts, you made a deal with the devil, right? You said, mm -hmm. government, I'm gonna save money now, but you can charge me whatever the heck you want to in the future. Right, we have no idea what tax rates are going to be, and there's a lot of money in 401ks right now. And if the government runs into problems with um, funding some programs that we all love and benefit from, which we know they're going to, where are they going to reach for? They're going to reach for these taxable, not not taxable, these these pre-tax accounts, which come yeah. out as ordinary income. And right. then finally, um, where you can be really tax efficient is in your brokerage account. This is just a regular after-tax investing account in Schwab or Fidelity, um, where you can buy you know stocks, bonds, uh, ETFs, mutual funds, and that's where you can really um, work to be tax efficient, Michael. Sure. Okay. So great, great summary there. We've got the three accounts: the, the tax-free, the Roth, 
the, the pre-tax. So like a, um, for a lot of people, that would be a, a traditional IRA or a, a 401k where they've uh, they put in money tax deferred, but they're going to have to pay it down the road. The deal with the devil you mentioned. And then the, the fully taxable brokerage account. So you've got three types of accounts. And then you've also got, for most investors, they've got different asset classes they're invested in. So stocks, bonds, et cetera. So I, I want to talk about how to kind of match those up. Because what I did for a long time is just, I'll, I'll kind of simplify here. Let's say I had a 60-40 portfolio. So 60% 60, 60 stocks, 40% bonds. And I had 60-40 in my Roth. I had 60-40 in my pre-tax. I had 60-40 in my fully taxable brokerage account. Um, so, so why is that? Why is that a bad idea? Why is that suboptimal? Suboptimal because um, different assets are taxed differently, right? So, um, when you talk about your overall asset allocation, um, that's your stocks to bonds percentage. Um, so, the sixty forty or sixty percent in equities, forty percent in bonds. It doesn't really matter where you put those bonds, though, because money is fungible, and that's. I think mm -hmm. the, the important concept that people need to get is that um, a bond is the same in your brokerage account as it is in your um, as it is in your your pre pre tax retirement account, right? Um, yeah. So so the ability to put assets that are favorably taxed in your brokerage account and put assets that kick off ordinary income. In your tax sheltered accounts is really where the the, the rubber meets the road here with tax efficient uh, investing. Yeah, so, so so let's get it. Let's get into the weeds here. Let's let's talk specifically about what are some asset classes that that should be in in certain accounts that are going to do better in certain accounts. Let's maybe start talking. You mentioned bonds already. Let's maybe start talking about about bonds, which are going to spit off. Uh, they're going to spit off a, a coupon payment. Um, maybe relatively low. It's a good time to be talking about this, right? Because interest rates have gone up, um, which which is great, but it kind of makes this it makes this principle or this practice more important in a way, right? When you're getting uh, when the, when the yields on on bonds are higher. So so where do bonds belong in your view? So uh, if you have room in your four hundred one k or IRA, that that's where bonds go. Just to keep it simple, there, there's no reason to put something that um, kicks off ordinary income that you're going to pay your you know ordinary tax rate be it 24 32 37 plus state taxes you want to keep that in a tax sheltered account um and the roth generally we don't have a lot of space in the tax free so i don't usually see a lot of bonds in the roth because the roth we really want you know we get that money tax free in the future so we want something that's going to grow there um but but things that pay ordinary um, taxable money should be in your tax protected accounts, your IRAs, your 401ks. Yeah. And, and so just to, just to put a bow on that or to, to, to kind of summarize what you just said, one of the benefits of those accounts, a, a traditional IRA, 401k is tax-free growth. You're going to have to pay taxes when you take it out, but when you get dividends, when you get uh, coupon payments from bonds, you, you don't have to pay taxes in the meantime, there's no tax drag. Um, so, so that's a, a great place for bonds because uh, you don't have to pay taxes. If they were in a brokerage account, again, to your point, exact same asset, but if it's in a, um, an IRA or a 401k, you're not going to have that tax drag each year. You move the exact same asset over to a, a, a full, fully taxable brokerage account, uh, you're going to have higher taxes. And that's uh, 
stock. Again, no change to your portfolio, no change to the risk of it, the overall composition. Uh, but but just by virtue of having bonds in a in a taxable account, you're paying uh, extra taxes. Um, okay, and then you mentioned about you mentioned about the Roth being not a great place for bond. Part of part of what you just mentioned is that um, the Roth is awesome, but it's hard to get. We can't get as much money. Most people can't get as much money as they'd like in there. You kind of have limited space. Um, a Roth IRA right now, I think it's sixty five hundred or, or seventy five hundred if you're uh, if you're over fifty. So there's some ways that you can you can potentially get more in there. You can do conversions, but unfortunately, a lot of folks don't have as much space. So space is kind of at a premium um, in, in the Roth accounts, right? So um, you mentioned this concept of having assets that are going to have a lot of a lot of growth um, in the Roth account. Is that right? Because if you think about the order you're going to spend down these accounts, you know, generally the Roth is spent last. And, and mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, it's given to kids. So if you think about it, you may have 30, 40, 50, 60 years um, that investments can mature in there. So the idea of risk, you know, we equate risk with volatility. And over the long, long term, that's not true. You know, who cares mm -hmm. what the, the, the only time you care what your equity is worth is the day you, you buy it and then the day you sell it. Right. So if it goes yeah. down 50 percent and up 200 percent and down 100 percent, you know, who cares? Right. So if you have something that, you know, is going to do well, if well, if you have something you're guessing is going to do well in the future, um, putting that in the Roth and then not paying taxes on the future expected growth is, is really a great idea. Now, you know, it, it's not a free lunch, as they like to say, because you're the one taking all the risk. Right. If the account does go down, you're you're stuck with this down account. Whereas yeah. if if your 401k goes down, then the government actually gets less taxes too. So the government sure. takes money from your um, pre-tax retirement accounts, but they also take some of the risk from you too, right? Yeah. So, but I I usually swing for the fences with the with the Roth if I'm going to have a little tilt or something fun. That might be a good place to put it. Like, um, yeah. didn't, didn't Peter Thiel put um, a couple small businesses in there and wind up with a $5 billion Roth or something? Yeah, that's right. Um, th that's right. I think he he got his his PayPal founder shares, I think. Uh, there's an article a couple of years ago in, in ProPublica, I think. We'll put a link in the show notes. But I think essentially, um, it, it, I actually just did an episode on self-directed IRAs. I'll put a, a link to the show notes in, in that as well. But um, the idea was he was able to to purchase his PayPal founder shares in a, a self-directed Roth IRA. Uh, so he, he paid, I don't know what he paid for him. Let's say he paid a couple thousand bucks for him and he had a huge return on it. Um, and, and he's ended up with, uh, with a Roth account that he's not going to pay any taxes on uh, that's worth $5 billion. And he, he's not the only one. I think one of Warren Buffett's deputies at, at Berkshire and some other hedge fund guys They've got Roth accounts that have a couple hundred million. I think Buffett's uh, Buffett's has maybe a, a meager twenty million in his. Um, but I think you know, I don't know exactly what moves these guys have done, but I, I suspect you're you're exactly right that they were able to identify assets that they thought had the potential for some massive appreciation, and they said it makes sense to hold these in my Roth because it's it's tax free. Um, whereas if they had held that in a taxable account or in a tax deferred account in a, a traditional IRA or 401k, um, they would have had to pay uh, capital gains or, or ordinary income taxes. Um, so, so, you know, two thirds of that money, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for, for some folks, I think that means um riskier assets are maybe are maybe small cap stocks or emerging markets, you know, if if you're kind of in a, a plain vanilla. 
um, you know, Vanguard or a Fidelity Roth account. Uh, other folks set up a, they set up what's called a self-directed IRA. And then you're able to invest in alternative assets. So you may invest in uh, in real estate. Um, the, the, the woman I had on uh, recently talking about self-directed IRA, she had someone who, uh, she said folks have invested in racehorses. She had someone who invested in Super Bowl tickets um, and, and couldn't go to the game because that would have been a prohibited transaction, but was able to sell them for a big profit. Uh, and then that was tax-free. Um, that was tax-free in the Roth account. So um, the uh, the self-directed IRA is, is an interesting route, probably not for everyone, um, but there's kind of different ways to do this, um, even in the, you know, the plain vanilla, boring Vanguard of Fidelity uh, Roth IRA to get some uh, your riskier assets there. Um, because you're right, it only matters uh, if you can remove emotion from it and be a, a robot investor, which is hard for a lot of us. But um, if you can do that, then it only matters when you uh, when you buy and when you sell. And if you've got a long term time horizon, the Roth is a great place. Um, uh, you know, it's not illegal to have a little bit of fun with your investing, right? You know, investing yeah. it's it's a serious, mature thing, but but you know, life, we need to live life, don't we? And if you're going to live life, live it in a Roth. Why not? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> um, all right. Any other, um, I, I want to move on here to talk about tax windows. Um, you, you kind of talked about that window you've got um, after you stop working and, and before um, before social security kicks in. Um, but any other, any other best practices or rules of thumb you have in terms of allocating different asset classes between the three buckets, the taxable, the tax deferred, and the tax-free? Super simple. And I'm going to tell you, there's only two things you should have in your brokerage account. You should have a total U.S. and a total international stock fund. Um, and that's it. That's all a well-diversified investor needs to have. You don't need to have munis there. You don't need to have cash there. Um, but just those two super tax-efficient um, investments is all you need, okay? And then what you do is you fill up your, um, you locate your bonds into the IRA, and then whatever's left, you just fill in wherever you can. So um, invest in stocks and equities in your brokerage account, put your bonds in your 401k, and then fill in the rest. It's pretty easy to do once you get the hang of it. Yeah. And and I think you say that because you say it's a tax efficient place for it because a brokerage account is, is unfavorable for, for a lot of reasons. You've got that tax drag. One of the nice things, though, is uh, capital gains tax rates, which are typically lower than ordinary income and, and assets that you have in a tax deferred account. You're going to withdraw them at ordinary income rates. Is that kind of the, the gist of that tax arbitrage rule of thumb? And um, to also make sure to use ETFs in the brokerage yeah. account, right? Mutual funds can kick off some um, very unfavorable um distributions at the end of the year. So ETFs or, or Vanguard, it doesn't matter. Their their mutual funds are fine, but everyone else just stick to ETFs. Yep. Another another good rule of thumb there. Um okay, so so let's talk. You you kind of alluded to this earlier. And I think this is another fascinating topic. And I think in general, we spend a lot of time I, I sound like a bit of a broken record here. I say this all the time, but we think a lot about uh, how to get money into our retirement accounts, how to get money into into Roth, into our tax-deferred accounts. We spend a lot of time thinking about how to grow that money. Um, we, we don't spend a lot of time, at least most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about how to get money out. Um, but but that can be like a, a huge, can make a huge difference in terms of uh, the tax efficiency of an overall strategy because uh, you know, ultimately you can't eat 
pre-tax returns. Um, you, you can't put you can't put food on your table. You can't uh, pass it pass it on to your kids. Um, it's got to be the the after tax, the net. Um, so you mentioned this window between when you stop working uh, for a lot of folks and when you start receiving Social Security and other benefits. Why is that an important piece of this kind of overall lifelong tax strategy? Very simple uh, concept called tax bracket arbitrage. And of course, there's nothing simple about it because nothing with taxes is simple. Um, <laughs> but conceptually, what you want to do is you want to defer your money during high income years and you want to recognize your money um, during low income years. Right. So we know in the United States, we have this graduated system where, you know, you have a zero percent tax bracket. That's your standard de deduction. Right. And then it's 10, 12, 22, 24. It goes on up from there. So on the years when you're making a lot of money, um, you can save 24, 32, 37 cents for every dollar you give the government um, as a future liability of, in taxes. Right. So I like to think about how much is this dollar going to cost me to liberate? OK, so say I can save 37 cents to give that dollar to the government now. And then I retire and I take it out in my 0% tax bracket, right? I fill up my standard deduction, taking that dollar back out and I pay them zero cents. So, so that's tax bracket arbitrage, okay? So you know, conversely, if you have a low income year, why not do your Roth 401k, right? So if you're only paying 10% you know, um, on your taxes, that's a great time to do Roth, right? So if you've got like a half year where you're not working half the year or something like that, um, think about doing Roth, but otherwise the rule of thumb is during your high income years, you defer, and then you can fill up this graduated cylinder. And the idea is to have some tax diversification, right? We want to have some money in the brokerage account. We're going to have some money in the, the pre-tax retirement accounts. And we can then choose during this tax planning window, how much money we're going to pull out and what tax bracket we're going to fill, you know, and then there's other considerations like, um, um, like premium tax credits and um, and uh, um, Irma, so there there are some surcharges to think about too when we're doing this. But but um, Roth conversions and controlling your future tax liability uh, are really huge during the the tax planning window. Yeah, so I think for for a lot of folks that that window, I guess most commonly it would be kind of in that that time, I guess between when you stop working and when you you start getting uh, payments from Social Security. I think, you know, you, you mentioned maybe you take a, a year off at some point, maybe you take a sabbatical and you bike across the country or something, or you have years, a lot of folks for, for one reason or another, will have a year where, uh, where they don't have a lot of taxable income. Um, and that's a great time to do a Roth conversion because that conversion is, is taxed at ordinary income rates. But if you're in a lower tax bracket, um, that's, that's the, the best time to do it. Right. And the other um, thing so I, I like that. Then... I like how you kind of, yeah, simplify that. The other thing yeah. during a low income year is don't forget there's a 0% tax bracket on capital gains too. Yeah. So you Good can point. fill up your standard deduction um, with um, the capital gains and then uh, pay no taxes on those too. So capital gain harvesting or Roth conversions uh, are really something to think about during low low income years. Yeah. So talk, talk a little bit more about that, about gain, um, gain harvesting. I hear people I think there's a decent amount of conversation. A lot of people are familiar with tax loss harvesting. So if you've got got a, a built-in loss on something or a paper loss on something, you can sell it, realize that loss, and and reduce um, reduce your your taxes for that year. 
Um, again, I don't hear as, as much discussed gain harvesting. So if you, if you would explain that a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, the capital gains brackets are this tortuous parallel taxation system that sits on top of your ordinary income. So that's the thing is that you need to calculate what your ordinary income is. And then mm -hmm. on top of that, you get taxed on your capital gains. And there's actually four capital gains tax brackets right now, right? There's the 0% tax bracket. And then we get into the 15. And then once we're above, um, is it 250 for married couples and 200 for singles, you, you hit NIT, N-I-I-T, net investment tax. It's the Obamacare surcharge. And that's mm -hmm. an extra 2.8%. Um, so we got the zero bracket, the 15, the 18.8, and then the 20... 3.8. I'm sorry, is it 3.8%? I think it's 3.8. Yeah. I think it's 3.8. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, 23.8, there, there really is no, uh, functionally, there is no 20% tax bracket um, for capital gains, right? So, but um, there is a 0% tax bracket that, um, you know, inflation adjusts over time that you can take capital gains out and pay zero, zero taxes on them. So that is something to, to definitely think about. So what you could do, you, you can take your shares, you can sell them, you can buy them back the same day. And all you've done is reset your um, your basis on that, yep. right? So you know you can um, if you bought bought it for a thousand, it's now worth two thousand. You can sell it. You're going to have to pay taxes on that a thousand dollars that you recognize as capital gains. But if you're in the zero percent bracket, there is no taxes. You buy it back at that two thousand, and now when you sell it at the future, your basis is two thousand rather than a thousand. So you can increase your basis in equities using the um, capital gain um, tax harvesting. A lot of folks kind of view that ta that fully taxable account as kind of the least desirable, and it, it is in a lot of cases. But what, what you've just kind of alluded to is there are are ways if you can use it strategically, um, because what, what you're talking about is is harvesting gains in a, a taxable brokerage account, um, because that's where the the capital gains taxes are 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 relevant. Um, the the other accounts are either tax free or you're going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. Um, so, you know, there, there are ways to um, get creative and uh, do some, if you can think through the timing and plan through the timing. Um, I think what you use the phrase, you got to think about how you're going to liberate the, those dollars, right? So um, there are ways to liberate those dollars from your taxable account, your, your broker, fully taxable brokerage account. Um, if you can do it in a, a year where you're in the 0% capital gains brackets, um, you can either take the money out and use it for living expenses, or as you mentioned, you can kind of um, just reset your your basis essentially. Yeah, and um, like one thing I came across recently. So um, you know, with uh, mortgage rates being so expensive now, yeah, um, I had a gentleman who was um, um, considering should he sell this asset in his brokerage account or should he get you know um, a mortgage. And you know, if you're paying eight percent on um, on money, that 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 adds up really quick. So he he was going to save you know, $2,000 in capital gains in order to pay 3,000 in interest. Mm. And that doesn't make sense either, right? So sometimes you just gotta pay the, the, the darn capital gains tax and move on, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so I introduced you as, as an advice only retirement planner. Uh, tell folks what that, what that means, what you spend your, spend your days doing, how you work with folks and where they can find out more about you. Sure, yeah. So. Um, I actually think that investing is easy. Um, if you have money, you buy the whole stock market. And when you need money, you sell it. Okay. That, that's honestly 90% of the battle right there um, is actually saving some money to invest and then investing it in a tax efficient way. Um, there, there are a lot of ways to get cute above and beyond that. But 
my clients, physicians, they have big shovels, right? They have a big salary. Yeah. So if they can set aside some money, invest it simply low cost, um, then when they really start needing help is, is when they're thinking about withdrawing, okay? So accumulation is easy uh, in my mind. Uh, it's deaccumulation that's difficult. You have all these different moving parts. When should I take social security? Um, there's insurance concerns. Um, there's Roth conversions and tax planning. So um, I just do an hourly uh, charge to help folks come up with a withdrawal plan or retirement plan. These are mostly DIY investors. Um, these are not people that need their handheld. Okay, that there are perfectly adequate AUM um, providers that can hold your hand. And I, I don't want to do that. I, I want to work with smart, intelligent people that like talking about nerdy, wonky stuff like um, like um, Roth conversions and tax gain harvesting and and fun, wonky stuff like this, Michael. Yeah, well, great. I, I, I mean, I love talking about this stuff. I think um, I think your your perspective is is spot on. I think you use the phrase uh, tax alpha, too. I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, it's hard to generate alpha by by picking stocks, but it's uh, it's not that hard to generate alpha, and it is alpha by um, by having us you know, doing some basic blocking and tackling when you're doing the accumulation phase, and then uh, equally importantly, or maybe more importantly, during the the deaccumulation phase. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't matter how much you make; it matters how much you get to keep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, well, this has been fascinating. Where can folks go to uh, to find more about you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. I have a blog at FiPhysician. That's FiPhysician.com. And uh, I, I like uh, a lot of nerdy, wonky tax stuff like this. So that that's um, my main bread and butter there. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, this is fascinating. Um, I wish we'd had this conversation 15 years ago. You could have saved me some money, but uh, better late than never. Uh, really appreciate your insights. Appreciate you coming on. Dr. David Graham, thank you. Thanks, Michael. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.